America as a culture is obsessed with money. Now, you can argue that if you want to, but we are. We're in the midst of a presidential election season. There's uh, been conventions on over the last few weeks, and the commentators that are supposed to tell us what we ought to think continually tell us that this year it's all about the economy. It's all about the money. In reality, when we look at some of our popular television and movies, it's all about the money. I I remember several years ago, I had the opportunity almost to be on one of those game shows. Uh, It was one of those game shows that had gotten real popular real fast, and they had this thing where you called in and and you, you, you answered some questions, and they called you back if you did it in the right amount of time, and you got the right name picked. And I remember coming home from, from a church one Sunday, and on my answering machine was a message from Regis Philbin. Now, I'm sure it was Regis personally dialing my number, and not a recording, but it was Regis telling me that I had been chosen to go into the second round of the competition. And then if I got into the second round of the competition, if I answered all those questions correctly in the right amount of time, that I would be going to New York. And so I had to be at the house between a particular time where I forfeited my chance. And so I was there, and I got the call. The lady called me. She uh, she she asked me some questions. We had flight arrangements. We had hotel arrangements. Susan and I were going to get to spend three days in New York. And all I had to do was answer five questions by phone on Thursday afternoon, and they would let me know Thursday night. Now, you know what show it is, right? Who wants to be a hundred air, something like that. And you can imagine, for the next few days, our minds were a little consumed. You see, I had played the Millionaire Game Show, and one of the things that you may or may not know about me is that my mind is filled with completely useless facts. Things that I have no reason to know, but for some reason are just stuck there. And on any given millionaire show, I could make it to the big money pretty easily. And so I was pretty excited about that. And suddenly our minds started turning to what if. What if I get on the show? What if I get past that fastest finger round that's really tough? What if I get on there and I start to climb the ladder? What's the place I'm going to call it quits? Susan was lecturing me all week on don't you go if you don't know the answer. What are we going to wear? What do I need to wear to be on that? You know, all those questions start rising in your mind. And it was amazing to me how quickly my mind became obsessed with what ifs. I called Thursday, answered all the questions. I hung up the phone, and I knew I was done. One question out of the five. They were all fast-as-finger questions. If you remember Millionaire, you know that's where you had to put things in order. And I messed up two presidents in the late 1800s, putting them back to back back in order. And I knew when I got through. I got the Julia Roberts movies the year they came out in order. I got that because that useless information but I missed that one. And suddenly, you realized how silly the what-if game was. But even in that short week, what God kind of showed me is how quickly your life can be consumed by this very subject. And when you think about it, (laughs) that show has spawned all kinds of shows. 
Because now, with any reality TV show, you're always competing, it seems, for a million dollars. I don't know what's specifically great about that particular number, but it's there. And so people in our country are consumed by it. Here's the interesting thing is that if you look at our information in the society in which we live, that money becoming this national pastime, what you have is people are more well-off today than they have ever been, even in the economic downturn. Now, you may not be as well-off right now as you were a year ago, but in general, if you look at decades of growth, this is the most prosperous generation that has ever existed, ever, in the history of the world in America. And yet... People are obsessed with more. State lotteries have grown at an alarming rate. I was watching a college football game yesterday, and I don't even remember which game it was, but they were talking about one of the offensive linemen for a particular team had won 265000 in the lottery. State lotteries have grown. Even in our own state, a place where we didn't have a lottery just a decade ago, we now have one. People are always looking for newer and better ways to get more money. But here's the thing. The more people get, the more they hold on to it. I mentioned to the Sunday school teachers uh, about a week and a half ago that, and some of them may have shared this this morning, that in the history of America, one of the most giving decades of all time is the 1930s. Now, I wasn't around in the 1930s, but I've read about it. In the 1930s, there was something going on that affected the old country. Do you remember what that was called? It was the Depression. And yet the giving in the Depression was twice as much as it is now. People were holding on to less when they had less than now. Here's an interesting thing. They did a survey and they asked how many people gave at least 10% of their money to some charity. 17% of American adults claim to, but only 6 actually do. One-third of Christians, people that said they were born again, evangelical, people like us, said they tithed. But when they looked at it, only 12% of Christians tithed. Now, over the next few weeks, what we're going to talk about is God's understanding of money. And the question that we're going to deal with today as we kind of lay a foundation that you dealt with in Sunday school as well is, who's in control? Who's in control? What are our responsibilities when it comes to this? What are God's responsibilities when it comes to this? The big kind of questions. Now, here's a reality that we have to come to terms with is that God says a lot about money. In fact, today's going to be a little bit of a different sermon. Usually, I take you to a passage of Scripture. We look at that passage of Scripture, and we investigate it. But today, we're going to jump around a little bit and ask the questions, who's in control? And look at different Scripture verses throughout. You know, if we were the editors of the Bible, some of us would have been a little worried about how much is in there about money. You know, I've said this before, but it's interesting to me that the most talked about subject in Scripture is probably the least talked about subject in churches. Because we're afraid we're going to step on toes or people are going to be upset. We're afraid people are going to see us and think all we're doing is asking for your money. And the truth is, for this four-week series, we're going to talk a little bit about tithing. We're going to talk a little bit about giving. We're going to talk a little bit about offering. But we're really going to talk more about having financial freedom. 
And freedom comes, first of all, from understanding what God's Word says about the Bible and who's in control. Now, this is one of those messages that that some of you might turn off immediately right now. I don't have enough money, or I'm okay, I'm in okay shape, or, or I'm, I'm a teenager, and I don't have to worry about that stuff, or I'm a child, and I don't have to worry about it, or I'm in retirement, I'm on fixed income. It doesn't matter what level of life you're in, this is an important understanding about what God says about money. Because in general, people either, most people don't like what they have, and they want more, and they'll do whatever it takes to get there. You know this probably, but the Bible does talk about money more than just about any other subject. In fact, there are 2,350 verses about money. That is more than faith and prayer combined. In fact, it is twice as much about faith and prayer combined. Jesus talks about money more than heaven or hell. He talks about it more than faith, more than prayer. He talks about it more than any of those things. There is one thing you can say for sure is that the Bible talks a lot about money. So the first question we ask this morning is why? Why does God care? Have you ever thought about that? Why does God care about my money? Now, we'll talk about that phrase, my money, in a little bit, all right? But why does God care? The first thing we see is how we handle money has a big impact on the intimacy of our relationship with Christ. Now, that's a long sentence, but it's an important one. You see, the Bible teaches us that how we handle money has a huge impact, a large impact on how we interact with our Lord. Richard Halverson has said this, that Jesus said more about money than any other single thing because when it comes to man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through Scripture, there is an intimate correlation for the development of a man's character and how he handles money. I want you to think with me for a minute about the story of Zacchaeus. You know that story, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Somebody want to break out in the song? And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. All right? Now, you know the story. Zacchaeus is short. Zacchaeus can't see. Zacchaeus gets up in the tree. He looks down. He sees the Lord coming by. The Lord sees him, and Jesus says, Come down, Zacchaeus. I want to go to your house to eat. Now, Zacchaeus wasn't a respected man. He was a tax collector. He had cheated a lot of people out of money. He goes to his house that day. They sit. They talk. They ask questions. He talks about all kinds of things. Zacchaeus, it seems, has an experience with the Lord, thinks that he comes to understand who Jesus is. Zacchaeus becomes a follower of Jesus. And the first thing Zacchaeus does is what? He gives back the money. What basically it shows in that passage is that Zacchaeus came into a new relationship with the Lord, and as a result, it changed how he interacted with money. Here's the reason. Number two is because money is a primary or the primary competitor with Christ for the lordship of our lives. Now, remember Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' story turned out pretty good. But there's another story that didn't. It was the rich, young ruler. We talked about that story in a sermon in the last year. And the rich, young ruler was a guy that came to the Lord, and he had everything you could want. He was rich, he was young, and he had power. 
And he comes to the Lord and he gets there and he tells the Lord he wants to follow him. The Lord says, follow the commands. And he says, I've done all of that. And then Jesus says, show me the money, right? Is that what he says? Well, kind of. It's the Larson paraphrase there, all right? He says, sell everything you got. Give it away. And that will prove that you want to follow me. And all the scripture says is that the man walks away sad. Now here I want you to point out something that those two stories teach. You know, I, I mentioned if we were the editors of the Bible, we might be a little wary about how much they talk about money. But it's not just that they talk about money so much. It's how bold they are about money in Scripture. Because if you look at that passage of Scripture, it ties money directly to salvation. Right? This means yes, no. I've been here a year now. Okay, we got Yes, no. It ties it directly to salvation. Here's what I mean by that. In the first story, Zacchaeus gets saved. The first thing he does is he gives money back. The rich young ruler isn't saved because he's not willing to give up his money. You see how they work together. Now, I'm not saying that you can buy salvation. I'm not even suggesting that that good works can buy your salvation. But what I am suggesting is a fruit of how you live with the Lord after salvation ought to be shown in how you handle money. I think it is ridiculous, first of all, that only 33% of people who say they are born again confess to giving back to the Lord what He asks of us. I think it's even sadder that you've got a large percentage. Apparently, 21% of those people are lying. you got 12% being faithful. Money is a primary competitor with Christ for the lordship of our lives. You know, I mentioned the millionaire thing, and one of the questions that Susan and I really started debating even before we found out we weren't going to be on the show was how winning some money like that, whatever it was, winning anything, would change who we were. And the reality is, my first thought is, well, it wouldn't change a thing. I know who I am in the Lord. I know what I've got. I'm comfortable in that. I'm like Paul. I've learned to be content whether I've got plenty or whether I'm in need. I'm content. But the truth is, we recognized even in that moment that sometimes when you get money, money gets you. Money is a primary competitor. Here's the third thing. We need to understand how to use it. Now, it's not just that God says money is evil. You know, sometimes that verse is used that, that money is the root of all evil. There's problems with that verse, right? That's not what the Bible says. First of all, it says, for the Love of money is the root. And secondly, it doesn't say the root of all evil. It says the roots of all kinds of evils. The truth is that God knows that money does have the power to corrupt. But in the same way, money can be used for his glory in a mighty way. And so God teaches us about money because he wants us to marshal our resources for his glory. So we need wisdom. And here's the fourth thing. Because if it wasn't in there so much, we'd just avoid it. Now, the reason I know that is because most churches avoid it anyways. And it's in there all the time. And so we understand that God desperately wants us to use money correctly. And this morning what we're talking about is God's responsibility and ours, or who's in control. 
Here's the first thing that we need to understand this morning is we must understand God's responsibilities. We must understand God's responsibilities. One of the things the Bible clearly teaches is that God has responsibilities when it comes to money. That there are certain things that He's in charge of, certain things that are in His domain, certain things that we need to make sure that we understand is His area. And first of all, we understand that God owns it all. Say that with me. God owns it all. One more time. God owns it all. That means every last thing you have, God owns. Now, the Bible is very clear on that. And what's interesting to me is how sometimes that ruffles some people's feathers. But I made the money. I did the work. It was my idea. It's my business. But the truth is, Scripture teaches that God owns it all. Psalm 24.1, you can just write these verses down. They're not going to be on the screen, but you can go look at them later. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything is God's. Now understand this. Scripture teaches us that God owns all the silver and gold. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Now I know we don't carry around silver and gold much anymore, but he also owns that paper money too. All right. God owns all the land. Leviticus 25:23 says, "The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine." And then God owns all the animals. Psalm 50 says, "Every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. The creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it." God owns it all. Now, here's the reason he owns it all, is because it goes back to the very beginning in Genesis 1-1. It says, in the beginning, God created. Until any of us in this room can learn to create something out of nothing, we don't have right to ownership. God spoke and it came into being. Now, the good thing is, not only does God own it all, the second thing is God controls it all. That he is the one that is in the midst of it all, controlling it. And so while we listen to the Federal Reserve Board and we listen to the economic indicators and while we listen to the gas prices and the rising this and the rising that and the falling Dow and the falling NASDAQ and all of that, and we seem like there are people out there controlling everything, like it's a conspiracy theory against us, we must realize that there is somebody controlling it all. It's just God. Now, some people think that God has a very hands-off approach to the world. I tend to think that God interacts with the world on a regular basis. So God's in control. And here's the last thing we need to understand about God's responsibility is that He will supply our needs. He will supply everything that we need. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Philippians 4.19 is, My God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite names of God. You know in the Old Testament there are all these Jehovah compounds where it says Jehovah and then a name after God so that the Lord is something. One of my favorite is in Genesis 22.14 which says Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. 
Now, what I love about that, that name of God is it comes in the midst of a very difficult part of Scripture where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son. And in the midst of that discussion, they ask where the lamb is. And Abraham fully expects that his son is the lamb. But he says to his son, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Even in our darkest moments, even in the times when we don't understand how, even when we can't see the future, God will provide. Now, understanding all of that, deeper understanding to our money. The first thing is realize it's not ours. The second thing is that God has right to all of it. And the third thing is we must have responsibilities as well. That's the second thing. We must understand God's responsibilities. A few years ago, I mean our responsibilities, a few years ago, I went to Gardendale, Alabama to a football game. Susan's nephews at the time were in Gardendale. Uh, Susan's brother-in-law was on staff at a church there, and his middle son was in his teenage years and was playing for Gardendale High School. And our youngest nephew at the time, Susan's brother's youngest child, was there at the game with me. And I was pretty new in the family at the time. And I was trying to impress the in-laws and all their family. And so I offered to go get Caleb, that's my nephew, some M&Ms. Took him to the concession stand, got the money out of my own wallet, gave the money to the man and said, I'd like your biggest pack of M&Ms. How many of you like M&Ms? Let me see those hands. There you go. Amen. They will be at the marriage supper of the lamb next to the fried chicken and macaroni and cheese. All right? And so I got him some M&Ms. He got the big black pack of M&M's. You know, that says on the side, M&M's. He knew what it was. He was excited about it. That's what he wanted. I'd ask him, you can have anything at the concession stand you want. I want the M&M's. He gets the M&M's. He rips it open. What does he do? He starts eating it. You ever seen a child eat M&M's? They don't care about how it looks, right? They don't care about how messy it is. I have M&M's in my office on a re- uh, just all the time. In fact, it's in this little cup, and it comes from the Upward uh, Conference we went to a few years ago, or a few months ago. And what they wanted is us to remember the M&M's as the children that we're supposed to go out and get. And somebody says, what happens when we eat all the M&M's? They said, you go get more children, right? And so in my office are these M&M's, and sometimes my boys will come in and get them. But on that particular night, I was with Caleb. I didn't have boys yet, and so Caleb started eating the M&M's. We start shuffling them in. And he could wait, look like, as he was stuffing them in, chocolate started coming down his face. And as he was stuffing, it was just in all the time. I guess he thought they were going somewhere. I just said, Caleb, can I have an M&M? He looked at me, the chocolate coming. As he opened his mouth, I could see the wad of chocolate in the mouth. And he just looked up at me and he said, no. Now, I did this before I got back with the in-laws because I didn't want them to see me asking him for an M&M. But I said, Caleb, I really want an M&M. No. I said, Caleb, who bought those M&Ms? No. Now, here's the reality. If I wanted to, I could have reached down and snatched the M&Ms from his hand, pulled them to myself because I was bigger and stronger than him. I could have grabbed him from him. I could have taken him from him. I could have said, no more M&M's for you. Like the guy on the video with the Xbox 360, right? Because who bought the M&M's? I did. Now, you need to affirm me on that. Who bought the M&M's? I did. And whose M&M's were they technically? They were mine. 
If I wanted them, I could take them. You know, we deal with this all the time in our families. We buy things for people and they think suddenly they're theirs. Parents, amen. I'm not there, you're buying a car, but you buy the car, they drive it, they think it's theirs. Sorry about that. Apologize to you. Just had to get on that for a minute. And so Caleb was not understanding how this all worked. All I wanted out of his king-size, share-and-tear version of M&M's was one measly M&M, and he said, no. You ever think God looks down upon us? Has that check that we've gotten from the place that we work or the deposit that comes, and he says, can I have a little bit of that? And we say, no. It's mine. You see, understanding God's responsibilities, we understand that He owns it all. Just like I bought the M&M's, God has bought it all, given us the talent, given us the ability, given us the ambition. And when we don't do our responsibilities, then we are out of the will of God. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about investing in eternal things. And one of the things that I'll talk about as we talk about investing in these eternal things is I firmly believe that you will never receive the full blessing of God or be in His will if you are not giving back to Him what He is requiring of you. And some of the most spiritual people, people that call themselves spiritual people, some of the most spiritual people in churches are people that don't give back to God. They just misunderstand His responsibilities and ours. Here's our responsibilities, two things. First of all, we are stewards. We are managers. We are people that take care of what He has entrusted to us. The better understanding of what happened in that place where I bought the M&M's for Caleb is I bought the M&M's for Caleb. I gave them to him. I allowed him to use them and to take care of them and to eat them because I wanted him to understand that they were his. They were a gift. But he was a steward of it. I mentioned the teenagers and the cars. The truth is that as long as you have paid for it, you are the owner. But when you give it to them, you give it to them and you hope they take good care of it as a steward. God has entrusted us with this money. God has given us the ability, and he says, it is your job now to manage it, to take care of it, to do with it what I've called you to do. And what we must understand is, if our purpose in life is to bring glory to God, to love God more than we love anything else, and then to love people with all that we have, if we understand that that is our job in life, then the job of us managing our money is to use it to glorify God and to love people. That the primary reason we work is to glorify God and to take care of people. And what comes along with that is that we are to be faithful. That we are to be faithful. God wants us to be faithful with all that we have. He wants us to be faithful with all the little things. You know, in Luke 16.10, in one of those um, eschatological Remember, that's end times parables. When it talks about what will happen in the future, what will happen in the kingdom of God, it says that he tells him that just as it is here as it will be in heaven, and whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. 
Whoever was dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. When we get to heaven, one of the tests about whether or not you're going to have different things in heaven, I believe there are grades of heaven. We can get into that in another time. Is how you handled what God gave you here. We're going to be surprised when we get to heaven with some people that we thought were shrewd money managers that aren't going to be put in charge of very much. And some people that we thought didn't have anything are going to be given great things to be in charge of. First Corinthians 4.2 says, It is required, notice that word, required, that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We are to be stewards, and we are to be faithful. Now here's the third thing we need to understand. When we are faithful, we will be blessed. When we are faithful, we will be blessed. Now I want to tell you real quickly, and don't misunderstand me in this point, blessing here doesn't mean more money in your bank account. Okay? Blessing here doesn't mean that you're going to have more stuff there. What blessing means here is that we will have this ability to understand the full benefit of what God wants. There are three things that God will bless us with when we handle money well. First of all, we will grow closer to Christ. John 14, 21 says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and will show myself to him. We will grow closer to Christ. One of the quotes I love came from C.S. Lewis about money. He said, He who has Christ and very little money has the same as he who has Christ and a whole lot of money. It's the same. The other thing that will happen is we will develop godly character. When we do what God asks, we will develop godly character. That may mean we go through some persevering times. That may mean that we have some difficulties. But God will develop in us character. And then here's the last thing is we will begin to have financial stability. If you read the statistics out there, the truth is there are many of you in this room that constantly walk the tightrope of stability in the financial area. I don't know things specifically, and I don't have numbers specifically, but I know that if you look at what Scripture teaches, and if you look at what God's Word wants us to do, and if you look at the statistics out there of what's happening in the families in America, Christian, non-Christian, whoever it is, what you'll see is that many of you are walking the financial tightrope. And what I know about walking the financial tightrope is that one false move in either direction can make you fall off. And what following God's principles means is that you will suddenly begin to not walk on the tightrope, but maybe it will go to a small beam. And then it goes from a small beam in a little bit to a little bit larger. And before long, you're on something very, very stable. Now, let me say before long may mean years in your case, or it may mean months. But the truth is following God's principles will bring financial stability. And they say, Pastor, what are those? That's a good question. We're going to talk about it for the next three weeks. But the truth is that my concern here today is not to tell you we need money, so send money, all right? Does that ever bug you when you watch one of those TV guys? Tells you about the Lord's love for you, and if you love me, you'd send me money. We're not here to do that. 
What I want is I want people that are financially free so that God can do miraculous things through his people giving. Here's what I believe. That number, that 33% number that say they give, the 12% number that actually give, part of the reason I think that's true is because in the church, if statistics hold, we've got a large percentage, a majority of people that are living month to month, check to check, and the reason they don't give is simply they can't. Now you say, of course they could. Well, we'll talk about how they can in the weeks ahead. But it's not because they don't want to. It's not because they don't feel like they should. It's because they think if I give to the church what God's called me to give to the church, I'll never make it. Here's what I want to tell you today. As long as you don't give to the church what God's called to give you to the church, you'll never make it. The opposite is true of what you think. And what we're going to talk about in Sunday school for the rest of this month, what we're going to talk about in worship for the rest of this month is those principles of how we move to a place where we have financial freedom. But to do that, we must understand, first of all, that it's all God's anyway. Every last bit of it is His. You know, it's pretty easy sometimes to take a story like I did with Caleb and make reference to the fact that that it's easy to see when, when young children are doing the mine syndrome. When they're saying, that's mine, it's not yours, it's mine. It's easy to see that in the life of a child because they're so open and honest about it. But the question that I have in my life all the time, the thing that I've asked, even as I prepared these sermons for these next few weeks is, but in my own life, how do I react with my own money? You know that that God, I told you that God tests you sometimes with with your own sermon stuff. That when you preach a sermon, God will test you in the weeks ahead. And I think I mentioned that after I preached a sermon about people driving around with their check engine light on, mine came on like the next week. It's still on. I've got it checked twice. It's still on. But here was the thing that I, I thought about. As I was driving that car and that check engine light came on and I noticed a little bit of the, the paints coming off the hood a little bit. My first thought was, maybe I need to go get a new one. Now, I just, I'm not going to tell you our financial situation, but the reality is if I went out and bought a new car and didn't tell Susan, um, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here on Sunday for a little while, all right? Because we, we can't do that right now. We just, you know, we had two houses for a while. There's a lot of things we just can't. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in my heart, my first thought was, I need something else. And I realized even in that moment, and as I think about other things, how much I have and how much I want. I just want you to know that the last week has been an eye-opening experience again for me. We housed 150 evacuees New Orleans. On Wednesday night, I left Bible study here and went down and did a Bible study there. They had, we hadn't done any of those kind of programs, and we hadn't been involved in that kind of stuff. The first two or three days, under uh, leadership of our church, leadership of the Red Cross, we were just trying to figure out what we were doing. But when Wednesday came around, we went down there, and, and I did a Bible study on Psalm 23, something real short, real simple, nothing 
elaborate. Um, it was just quick. And after I was done, that's all I had planned. I gave him everything I got. I'm gone. It's good. And as I walked off, one of them said, I'd like to sing something. He'd been talking about it all day. He'd heard we were going to have a Bible study. He wanted to sing. And he sang a song called, I Will Not Complain. There was a guy that, as far as we know, had very, very little to go back to. In fact, at that moment, we didn't know if he had anything to go back to. We don't know what his house condition is. We don't know what the neighborhood condition is. We didn't know when he was going to get back. He was living in our gym. And I'll just be real honest with you. Our gym is not the most luxurious accommodations around. Shortly after that, another one got up and wanted to sing, and another wanted to sing, and his eyes on the sparrow was sung. And one after another, for four or five people, they they just sang, and they thanked us for our hospitality. They thanked us for what we had done. They thanked us for our church and what you had allowed to happen down there. And I just sat there and thought, for people that have so little, they sure aren't complaining. As they left yesterday, I was thinking about, the sermon I was doing today, we, I was doing some studying when I found out they were leaving, and so I came up here, and I was watching as our people were saying goodbye, and the relationships that had been built, and the hugs that were being given, and the, the, the tears that were being cried from those that were leaving, and those from our church. And I couldn't help but think that for a people that had so little, they had so many that had joy. I thought about the sermon that I was going to preach today, and I realized that most of us in this room, now I mentioned that some of us in this room, the reason that you might not be able to give is because you, you don't have it to give. And I realize that some in this room may be in some very, very difficult situations, but the truth is most of us in this room are making a pretty good wage. We're doing all right financially, and if we're into places we can't give, it's because of choices we've made, not because of circumstances out of our control. And I thought about in my own life how often this issue of who's in control, I err on the wrong side. And the question I have simply for you today is, are you willing to give to the Lord that which is His? And realize when you make that statement, I'm not talking about 10%, I'm not talking about 12%, I'm not talking about 5%, I'm talking about the fact that He owns it all and that you're going to turn over to Him your finances, your talents, your time, and say, Lord, however you want to use it, I want to be open to you using it. 100% of it is yours. Because, see, the first principle of this whole financial freedom thing is that when you come to that realization, you are freed up from managing all your stuff. And what you have is you just give it back to the one that already owns it.